You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. College football today. We're in the final stretch run for the 2017 college football season, seven days away. I can't wait. We're live from Studio 34. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, talking a little 2017 Heisman Trophy. We talked about a bunch of players, and at the end of the break, Rich brought up Derwin James from Florida State, quarterback Wimbush for Notre Dame, and of course, Luke Falk, my personal favorite from Washington State, Rich. These are three players that have great value at, you said, 40 to 1. I think out of all of them, though, Mm -hmm. I think the one guy I would be all in with is Luke Falk. I mean, 70% completion percentage. He has a trio of running backs in Wicks, Morrow, and Williams that can allow him to put up dynamic numbers as long as they don't lose to Montana State week number one. This is a quarterback that could put up huge numbers in 2017. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, the numbers, no problem uh, in that offense. We all agree that uh, he could have a record-setting year. That's, that's sort of a given when you run Mike Leach's air raid. Uh, I, I'm sort of betting on the fact that Washington State, if you're looking for this year's Colorado, you know, this year's team out of the Pac-12 that might sneak up, I don't think anybody has that conference in a chokehold. USC, the favorite down south. Washington, the favorite up north. But if Washington State exceeds expectations, what if they win the north and Luke Falk throws 42 touchdown passes? That could be the impetus for Heisman voters to take notice. And, you know, Washington State, what I like about this team, we talked about it during our Pac-12 preview a couple of weeks ago, this is more than just a passing attack. They have a dominant offensive line led by Cody O'Connell. They could run the ball to balance off that passing attack. And defensive coordinator Alex Grinch has done a really nice job of building an attacking, aggressive defense that creates turnovers and gets the ball back to Alex Brink. So senior quarterback, Alex Brink, uh, Luke Falk. How, how am I coming up with Alex Brink at this point? <laughs> all, all, all of the names that you bring up over, over time, I, I, that, was, that was pretty scary. Shock full of nuts here. I, that's my pick. Out of all three players, <laughs> I, I would take Luke Falk over Wimbush and Derwin James. I'll say this about Derwin James. Yes, fantastic player. He missed 10 games last year. Did not play in the blowout loss against Louisville and Lamar Jackson. But he is no Jabril Peppers, in my opinion. And if Jabril Peppers did not get the Heisman, I don't see Derwin James and Florida State becoming the team to do it. So I don't like James at at 40 or 50 to 1. Wimbush, I think Notre Dame's going to have to run the table, Rich. And when I look at this team overall, I think they're going to be 4 and 8, especially in the defensive front. They allowed 180 rushing yards per game last year. They don't have the ability of home field advantage anymore. They lost to Duke. They lost to Stanford and Virginia Tech at home. He's going to be a freshman and doesn't have a bunch of playmakers around him. I just don't see this guy doing it for 2017 but that's why we have difference of opinion when we come back we'll be talking about 2017 college football games of the year joe lisi rich sermonella live from the fantasy sports radio network
back on College Football Today, live from Studio 34. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. We broke down the 2017 Heisman Trophy frontrunners and dark horses. We're going to turn our attention to the Golden Nugget College Football Games of the Year. These are the games that are outside week number one for the most part, looking ahead throughout the season. Rich, I mean, there are some marquee games, not only the first week of the season on September 2nd, even though the season kicks off next week, only a limited slate of action, but September 9th, when you look at some of the marquee games, I mean, Nebraska and Oregon, you have Pittsburgh and Penn State, TCU and Arkansas, Auburn, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, Notre Dame, and Boise State, Washington State, just to name a few, Rich, along with Stanford and USC. That's a dynamic week two of the college football season 2017. Yeah, I. what I love about this sport and what's so much fun about covering this sport is the early part of the season, September, you know, we've gone through all of the evaluation, the discussions, the debates, uh, the hot topics. But once we get to really September the 2nd, then September the 9th, weeks 1 and 2, you start to get a real feel. You start to get tangible evidence. Who are the players? Who are the true contenders for the playoffs? And, you know, some of those matchups will answer so many questions. Ohio State, Oklahoma, you know, can can Oklahoma get revenge for being taken behind the woodshed in Norman last season? Stanford versus USC. We don't talk much about Stanford when it comes to the Pac-12 race. We know the defense is good, but they have quarterback question marks. So for me, I love to delve into those first couple of weekends because that's when things start to settle down. You get into a groove. You begin to learn who those true contenders for a national championship are. I'm so happy that you brought up Stanford because, for me, this is a team I'm not high on in 2017 in any way, shape, or form. I I think they're middle of the road. I think they're. I picked them at seven and five. A couple of factors. They started out last year against very good competition. They were only four and three against teams with a combined overall record of fifty-seven and thirty-four or six hundred and twenty-six winning percentage. They wound up ten and three overall. They ran the table in the last six games of the year. Those teams were a combined twenty-seven and forty-six, rich or three hundred and sixty-nine winning percentage. I think when you. You look at the 10-win team in Stanford, minus Christian McCaffrey now, that's going to put a lot of... I do not think they were a solid team in 2016, even though they were a 10-win team and they beat up on North Carolina in the Sun Bowl. When you look at the, the, the body of work from last year, it wasn't a dominant team by any stretch. Yeah, Stanford is rarely sexy, uh, last year being no different. Uh, the, the game plan for David Shaw is going to be the same, which is going to be rock-solid defense, a strong running game, hopefully a solid offensive line. Offensive line was not very good last year. They're going to have to improve this season. And I'm not suggesting, Joe, that you need Andrew Luck or Jim Plunkett uh, in order to be successful at Stanford. But 
you got to have better quarterback play. There's only so much you could rely on the backfield. Christian McCaffrey not there. I expect Bryce Love, his heir, to have a good season. But it's really coming down to the quarterback play. you got to be able to balance the running game with better passing plays. That hasn't been the case the past couple of seasons, and that's why Stanford has been somewhat mediocre by the standard that they had built up as a Pac-12 champion. So, you know, looking at the quarterbacks, Keller Christ, maybe K.J. Costello, Ryan Burns, I need to see better play out of the quarterbacks to, to be higher on Stanford. You're showing your age with the Jim Plunkett comment. I, I'll I go, know, that's I'll, disgusting. I'll go, I'll go Steve Stenstrom and Todd Huzak. Yeah. I'm a little bit younger than you, yeah, though. You you know. yeah. I know. I know. I, I went way. I should not have gone back to the 70s. That was disgusting. No, I'm only kidding you. I'm only kidding you. I, here's a team I want to talk about because uh, they have a marquee battle in week number two and a very intriguing matchup. It, it takes place in Fayetteville, TCU and Arkansas. This game went to overtime last year in Fort Worth. Austin Allen and the crew were able to pick up the victory on the road against Gary Patterson. Now you look at this matchup. TCU a slight favorite in this ballgame. Minus one against Arkansas. I mean, on the road. I mean, this is a team in TCU Rich with a very inconsistent quarterback in Kenny Hill. They were 1-5 last year at home and lost those games by 12.2 points per game. One of the worst defenses under Gary Patterson last year. Ah, I like Arkansas in this matchup. Mm. Well, I, I mean, listen, here's my take on TCU. I completely agree about Kenny Hill. I, I don't expect any overnight transformation from Kenny Hill. Inconsistent last season. I think he'll be inconsistent again this season. They're going to have to really rely on the running back, Kyle Hicks, against an average to below average Arkansas uh, defense. Austin Allen, edge to Arkansas when it comes to the quarterbacks. The only reason why I'm, I'm somewhat high on TCU is just the track record of Gary Patterson. Coming off tough seasons, he has had a, a penchant for piloting his teams to 10 wins. Don't know if they'll get to 10 this season, not suggesting that. But after that defense, his track record, I, I think that defense is going to turn around this season, Joe. I think they'll be a little bit grittier. They're strong in the back seven. Need to need to really backfill in terms of the defensive line. But Gary Patterson in a rebound mode, I think the defense will be better. I say slight edge to TCU in that matchup. Yeah, here's where I look at when I look at this matchup overall, Rich, over the last couple of years. And I, I understand what you're saying in terms of Gary Patterson. And a lot of people feel that way. He's never had really back-to-back mediocre seasons in Fort Worth. But here's what I look at when I look at this Horn Frog defense last year. They allowed 187 rushing yards per game. Two years ago, it was 182. When they had Trevon Boykin and they were that wide-open, explosive offense where they were number three in the country, they only allowed 120 rushing yards per game. Now they go on the road with a big heavy offensive line with Brett Bioma and the Hogs. Now you got Whaley running the football between the tackles. I mean, this was an Arkansas team last year that only averaged 164 rushing yards per game, but they had three of five new offensive line starters. They have more continuity now, and if you cannot shut down the run, I think this is going to be a field day for the Razorbacks at home in Fayetteville. Well, listen, if, if the game comes down to run defense and either stopping Devois Whaley or stopping Kyle Hicks, 
I'd say the advantage goes to TCU. I, I, wow. I think TCU will have a better shot of stopping the run than Arkansas. Arkansas's defense was horrific last year. I don't see a lot of you know stoppers on the defensive side of the ball. I don't see a lot of pluggers, people who could fill gaps and slow down someone like Kyle uh, Kyle Hicks. I, I, I the, the key for me is going to be Kenny Hill. Kenny Hill is going to have to get the ball in the hands of Cavante Turpin, unhealthy last year, healthy this year. He could make a big difference along with Taj Williams. Uh, on the outside for an offense that didn't get enough consistency from the passing game in 2016 to complement Kyle Hicks. So I have a lot of worries about that Arkansas defense. So does Brett Bielema as he sort of, you know, gets close to getting on the hot seat in the SEC. Yeah, we'll be bucking heads on that one in week number two. We're just wetting the palate here, Rich, uh, with some of these games. I mean, when you look at Georgia's chances to win the SEC East, even though it's an out-of-conference game, to go into South Bend on the road, all Mm -hmm. eyes on the Bulldogs, you open with App State, which is not an easy game, with Jalen Moore and Taylor Lamb. I mean, this is this could really kickstart this Georgia Bulldog team to possibly gaining momentum throughout the SEC. Now, there's no question about it. When you look at a a pivot game for both of those programs, both of whom have something to prove, Week 2 in South Bend is going to be an enormous game for Georgia and for Brian Kelly. We talked a little bit about Brandon Wimbush. He's going up against Kirby Smart's defense, which returns just about every starter. He's going to have at his disposal Equinemius St. Brown. Uh, Alize Mack, the tight end, who was unavailable last year, and Joshua Adams, his running back. So a lot of good skill position talent for Notre Dame. You know, one of the things, if I can go back to our first hour, I thought it was really fascinating. I've I've been thinking about this throughout the offseason, been talking to people down at Georgia, and Charles Davis touched on it. And that is the sort of whisper out there that Jacob Eason he's no lock to be the starting quarterback in Athens because Jake Fromm, younger, inexperienced, I get that, but he's got a, somewhat of the it factor that people at Georgia are wondering if, if Jacob Eason has the same thing. So that's something interesting to watch for the Bulldogs. Yeah, I want to see how that plays out as well. I caught that with Charles Davis as well, and I think we're in agreement uh, about Jacob Eason. We saw him at the Maxwell. Uh, he looked like a deer in the headlights at the early part of the year, but we'll kick it back in the next segment talking about Georgia. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34. Keep it where it is. Back on College Football today, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from Studio 34, talking Golden Nugget College Football Games of the Year. We started off on week number two, September 9th. We were talking Georgia and Notre Dame, and we left it off with Georgia starting quarterback Jacob Eason possibly giving way to back up from Rich. Ah, This is a very intriguing development in Athens because last year I thought it was very important for Kirby Smart to get Jacob Eason game experience so that Georgia can take the next step to the SEC East title. Now Charles Davis has hinted that possibly Jacob Fromm now could become the starter. 
I think that could be the recipe for disaster in 2017 should they go that route. Well, I, I, I think it's actually good for Jacob Eason's development, Joe, to have true competition. Uh, I, I, I think Jacob Eason will be the starter uh, when the Bulldogs face App State. But I, I don't think you could forget about Fromm in his rearview mirror. He, uh, they're two talented quarterbacks. But again, I look at the intangibles. I, I, he's only in his second season, Eason, so I, I don't want to uh, denigrate him unfairly. But I, I, certain kids, I wonder if they're truly passionate about football. I see a little bit more of that, and Jake Fromm does not have the experience, so he'll start the season on the bench. But if Jacob Eason doesn't make the proper development, in-season development that Kirby Smart needs, it would not shock me. If smart, listen, Smart went with a true freshman last year, so I don't think he'll hesitate if the situation warrants to do it again in 2017. That's a great point, but I think the difference with year number one was that he was a new head coach, and the fans in, in mm-hmm. Athens, yeah. you know, Mark Rick, 10 wins every year, but you couldn't bring home an SEC championship, and that's what they want in Athens. So I thought last year was sort of the experiment. You had to get Jacob Eason involved in the yeah. offense. You had to get his feet wet so that year number two, when expectations are set so high... This team can take the next step, and he doesn't have to do a lot. And what I mean by that is you have a solid offensive line. You have two of possibly the best running backs in the in the SEC or college football, for that matter, in terms of dynamic duo and Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. And you have a defensive front that only allowed 144 rushing yards per game. And that secondary, led by Dominic Sanders, can carry you through. All Jacob Eason has to do is, is play play within the system they're not asking them to to throw for 500 yards per game like mason mm-hmm. rudolph yeah no that that's a very good point I, I i think my that's a very good point because he doesn't have to be he doesn't have to be rudolph he doesn't have to be sam darnold or or luke falk at uh, at washington state uh he could basically be a game manager in georgia can still be successful i guess my thinking is you know at some point and I understand your thinking. Last year, not a throwaway year, but last year was the year that Kirby Smart, his first as a head coach, that he could experiment with a true freshman quarterback, develop with him. But what if he starts to realize in August or in September that, you know, Jake Fromm gives us a better opportunity to win football games? Not predicting it'll happen, but that to me will be the barometer where a coach says, you know, Eason isn't progressing like we think. Fromm brings a certain spark to that offense. Maybe we need to insert him into the mix. I think it's just something to think about. I, I haven't seen the line. Can I make a, a guess as to what the line is for that game, Joe, without you telling yeah. me? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking Notre Dame's got to be given three in that game. They are. They're right on in that game. But, but here's the thing. Uh, okay. If he does make a change, it's going to come after this game, and I'll tell you why. Because they didn't start SEC play. So if Georgia somehow, someway loses this game, I don't think they will. Because I Mm -hmm. think the matchup against Notre Dame is you run the football at their front seven. They break down in run support over the last couple of years against big physical offensive lines. They did it last year against Stanford. They had that lead in the fourth quarter before giving way to to Christian McCaffrey and Bryce Love. McCaffrey didn't even play in that game. I, I mean, that's the recipe. So if Georgia... 
Georgia somehow loses and Jacob Eason throws four picks and they lose this ball game by double digits, I think that's when you do yeah. it. I don't think you do it in the middle if they're six and one or seven and two. Uh, then, then you're looking at the same thing. I think you have to do it then. Otherwise, wait until the other end of the year. What do you think? No, it's a very good call because if if the wheels come off in South Bend, uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna give the true freshman an opportunity against Samford at home the following weekend before the SEC play begins. Uh, so it's something to watch. I, I don't think Georgia will implode in that game. I think it'll be very competitive. I agree with you. I think the Bulldogs will win because I don't have a lot of confidence uh, in the Notre Dame defense. I think you can ground and pound uh, the Irish front seven. Um so, yeah, I, I agree with you, at which time all of this talk about Eason might be moot. Well, we'll see how it plays out because, again, expectations are through the roof in Athens. I mean, uh, especially after last year, they feel they have a winner on their, te- on their hands entering 2017. And when you look at some of the other quarterbacks, you look at the situation in Florida, we still don't know who the starter will be for week number one. You have an unproven quarterback in Dormandy for Tennessee. You have guys like Jake Bentley. You have Johnson at Kentucky and Kyle Shermer there in the East, along with Drew Locke, who I think it will be a very explosive team this year. But in terms of winning the division, in my opinion, I think it's Georgia's to lose, but we'll see how it plays out after that Week 2 matchup Mm -hmm. against the Fighting Irish and Brian Kelly. Let's look at at September 16th, Rich. I mean, great games on tap as well. I mean, it's really showcased by the Clemson-Louisville game. Clemson on the the road excuse me, against Lamar Jackson. He has this game circled from last year when they could not convert on the fourth down inside the red zone and that's a main reason why Clemson it was the reason why Clemson got the victory in Death Valley I mean a back and forth affair it's a pick and ball game but I still like Clemson's defense a front seven going up against Lamar Jackson and the Louisville Cardinals uh, at home in, yeah. Lex- in Louisville yeah, pick them, man. I, I would jump all over Clemson for that game, even on the road. Uh, I, I, I think opponents figured out a, a better way to defend Lamar Jackson at the tail end of the regular season going into that bowl game against LSU. And Clemson has the defensive personnel, beginning with their coordinator, Brent Venables, going to that defensive line with Christian Wilkins, uh, Dexter Lawrence. I, I think they will absolutely maul the Louisville offensive line in that matchup giving that back seven an opportunity to flood the box and contain Lamar Jackson if you could force him to be a passer that Louisville offense will seize up now the big question mark one of my big question marks heading into the season across college football is who is going to be the quarterback for Clemson and how will that individual whether it's the rookie Hunter Johnson the veteran Kelly Bryant how will that kid play on a team that enters the season as a defending national champ, but in a pick'em game like that, boy, I would jump all over Clemson. You see, I like Clemson too, and I'll, I'll, I think it will be Kelly Bryant. And you look at the the way Alabama and Nick Saban were able to reload over three straight years with guys like Blake Sims, Jay Coker, and Jalen Hurts, and everybody just expecting now because Deshaun Watson's not there that this Clemson offense will take a step back with a new quarterback. They have fifty percent of the receiving production from last year coming back in Deion Kane. 
Hunter Renfro, Ray Ray McLeod, even though they've sort of hinted that Ray Ray McLeod might play corner at some point through the year, and you have two running backs in Feaster and Fuller that are complementary backs, this offense could be just as explosive with a new starting quarterback. Uh, I look at Louisville in terms of being one-dimensional, especially without their top three leading wide receivers. Lamar Jackson's going to have to find a way to exploit that that Clemson secondary, and I don't know if he could do it in that matchup. Rich, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a guess here. We'll have to kind of we'll kind of have to put this in the memory bank over the next couple of weeks. But yeah. I think by kickoff of that game. I think that line could be Clemson minus five or six. So th- there is really good value to grab that pick right now. That will not be a pick well, by week three. Well, here's the other side of the, the coin. People will say it is the week after Auburn and Jared Stidham coming Auburn. to Death Valley. Yeah. So, I mean, here's, the, yeah. here's what I say yeah. about Clemson overall. I mean, say what you will about Dabo Sweeney. He is a big game head coach, and he's a giant killer. Yeah. Over the last few years now, he's knocked off teams like uh, Alabama. He's knocked off teams like Ohio State. He's knocked off Auburn. He's knocked off Louisville, Florida State. I mean, all the guy does is win, baby. And when you look at that game against Auburn, he's 3-0 and over the Tigers over the last three meetings, and and they've won those ball games by nine points per game. So, uh, obviously if they get that victory in Death Valley, uh, uh, Death Valley, is there the hangover effect the following week on the road against Lamar? Mar Jackson. Mm. Listen, there's always a possibility. I like to look at the psychology of these matchups, but this is the beginning of the ACC schedule. Uh, This is against Louisville. This is against the defending Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, This is at Papa John's. So I think in terms (laughs) of uh, intangibles, Clemson will have no problem getting up for that game. Physically, you will have to see whether or not they get beaten up against Auburn in that Week 2 matchup. Yeah, we'll see how that game plays out. That is September 16th. Another game you have to keep an eye out on is Tennessee and Florida. Tennessee did get the victory last year in Neyland Stadium after trailing that ball game, Rich, 21-3. to But I think we're in agreement here. Florida is the more complete team heading into this matchup Week number 3 of the college football season. More complete team, but I'll continue to say, again, I agree with Charles Davis. I think Tennessee is going to be a mild surprise out of the SEC East. We'll be talking September 16th, College Games of the Year. When we come back, this is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Talking a little college football games of the year 2017. We left off on week number three, September 16th. Talking a little Tennessee and Florida. Florida early on a nine and a half point favorite over the Volunteers. Rich, I want to ask your thoughts about last year's victory in Neyland Stadium. I mean, the Tennessee faithful were up in arms. We got the victory finally over Florida. Jim McElwain... Josh Dobbs had that victory. I don't look at that as a marquee win over the Gators, even though they had a 21-3 lead. I mean, it was with Austin Appleby at the quarterback position. Luke Del Rio was hurt. Do you put a lot of weight into that victory last year in Knoxville? I, I put a lot of weight for what it meant 
to Tennessee. We both know the uh, you know the level of this rivalry, the issues that Tennessee has had against Florida. So yeah, I think in terms of psychology and the mindset, getting over that hump and beating the Gators 38 to 28, I do think it's a big deal. I, I, I think that was a big deal for Butch Jones. I think it was a big deal for Knoxville and that volunteer community. I, I don't know if it's going to trickle into this season, but I will say nine and a half points looks pretty rich to me because I think there's a lot of unknowns about Florida again on the offensive side of the ball. I think they'll regroup just fine on defense. But offensively, still don't know who the quarterback is. Uh, you know, we have some issues on the outside with Antonio Callaway. Should be back at that point, but he's got off-field problems. So I think this is a game that, that Tennessee could compete in. Well, it, it is a rivalry game. That we know. I, I'll say this about Josh Dobbs, and I've said it before. I, I don't think he's had a significant win in the SEC. I mean, people will turn to this game last year against Flo. I just don't see it. I mean, Austin Appleby was a backup. I mean, he got the victory in Athens over Georgia on a Hail Mary. Two years ago, Nick Chubb broke, uh, had the ACL injury. They had a big lead and let it slip. He got that win. But he had he never had a significant road win in his career. Yeah, he beat Vanderbilt. He beat Kentucky. But he didn't beat Alabama. He didn't beat... Uh, he never had that marquee performance. And now, where's the, the marquee road win for the Volunteers in Butch Jones's tenure? I mean, now they're going on the road in the swamp. They've been close, but they haven't broke through. They, they played Alabama very close two years ago. They, they lost that matchup 19-14, but they didn't get the victory. And now you're going into the swamp. I just don't see it. I like Florida in this matchup. I like the way their secondary matches up over Dormandy. This is a secondary, like I mentioned uh, last week, that has held all 13 opponents last year under 58% completion percentage, and they held 7 of 13 under 50% completion percentage. I like the Gators in the swamp. Well, there's one other thing to keep in mind, too, for people who look at the strict adaptation of returning starters sometimes it doesn't really uh it doesn't give a clear picture i like to look at injuries as well and tennessee was a team that was as banged up as any in the country last season they lost so many players to injuries this is now a healthier team and and assuming it remains that way after the first two games against georgia tech and Indiana State, I, I think we'll see a different caliber of Tennessee. A lot of those offensive linemen and defensive linemen that missed all or parts of last season, Joe, now back in the mix and available for Butch Jones. So last year they won nine games despite not having the full complement of volunteers. Again, I think this is a team, I, I don't think they win the SEC East, Joe. But I was so happy to hear Charles say it on the air because it's what I've been thinking about all season long. He said that NFL scouts are finally looking at this Tennessee program and saying they look like a legitimate SEC team. The bodies, the speed, the personnel looks legitimate SEC. I think we'll begin to see that this season, assuming Quentin Dormady is at least a modestly effective quarterback. If... This team goes 500, what you just said and what Charles just said earlier in the show. Is Butch Jones out of a job? Yeah, he's gone. 
<laughs> of course. He yeah, is, of course, right? be, of course, because listen, he's, I mean, he's had, this is year number five. Five years is more than enough time to turn around a program with the rich tradition and the facilities of Tennessee. It's more than enough time. Now, I'm not saying he has to win the SEC East to preserve his job and be back in 2018. But when you look at what Charles said, when you look at what NFL scouts are saying, it's telling me that this team should win eight games this season. If they're south of that, yeah, I think Tennessee's looking in a new direction. Yeah, it should be intriguing. We'll see how this game plays out on September 16th. If they can get that road win in the in the swamp, that could kickstart them throughout conference play. So we'll see how it plays out for the Volunteers in the month of September. Let's I'll take turn- the points, Joe. Give me the points. Give me those points. I want those I'm giving them to you. I'll give you 12. I'll give you 12 right. for that matchup. I oh like Florida God. in that game. I really do. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see very how that generous. game plays out. Here's very another generous. game. Very close, similar types of styles in the, in this matchup, and it's Stanford and San Diego State. Stanford goes on the road to play the Aztecs and Rashad Penny. This is a very intriguing battle because I look for San Diego State to be into this matchup in every way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. This could be a trap game for Stanford when you look at their schedule. Yeah, I, I mean, San Diego State, my worry right now, I like I like Rashad Penny. I mean, I, I, I think in, in some respects could be a better Sunday running back than Donnell Pumphrey because he's built to be more of a feature back, Penny, more of a third down, kind of a scat back, more of a complement to an offense. I think Penny's going to surprise a lot of people who didn't watch him last year despite the fact that he ran for more than 1,000 yards. Here's my problem with uh, with San Diego State. If you're going to beat the defense of Stanford, Joe, you're going to have to have some passing along with that running game. Stanford and that front seven led by Harrison Phillips, I think they could focus on Penny because I don't have a lot of confidence in Christian Chapman being able to stretch a defense. Stanford is outstanding in the secondary. So for San Diego State, problem scoring. They're still rebuilding on the defensive side of the ball. Could be close. But I think Stanford gets the victory. Well, I agree with you. That's the matchup that you want to see play out in that ball game because San Diego State has two redshirt freshmen and a sophomore on the offensive line, so that can that could be a cause of concern in that ball game because of offensive line cohesiveness and continuity. And if Christian Chapman doesn't have time, that could be a, a recipe for disaster for the Aztecs. But I look for them to get into a low-scoring game with Stanford uh, in that battle. It will come down to a physicality perspective, which Whichever team could dictate tempo early on will probably win that ball game. But again, it's a Pac-12 team going into San Diego State. And I think that that's the matchup you have to watch because I expect Rocky Long and the Aztecs to be fired up for that matchup. But that's an intriguing battle that Mm. will break down in the month of September. Let's look at uh, the week of September 23rd, Rich. I mean, three games stand out for for me. I mean, it's Arkansas, Texas A&M. It is Oklahoma and Baylor. And I'll look at the Penn State-Iowa game. I mean, those are three marquee battles front and center stage that really caught my eye. I mean, when you look at Penn State in that battle against Iowa, they go on the road now. They dominated the Hawkeyes in that matchup. That was the week before Iowa played Michigan, and they got blown out in Happy Valley. Yeah, 41-14 to last season, so it was dominance from Penn State. Um, 
you know, this year they get them in Iowa City, Josie Jewell versus Saquon Barkley. The problem that I have with Iowa is a problem that I have almost every year. And, you know, we know they can run the ball. They'll run the ball with a two-headed monster this season. But what are you going to get from the passing attack? You know, what what are you going to get if it is Nathan Stanley and a mediocre group of wide receivers? Is that enough to complement James Butler and Akram Wadley? I, I don't think so. Uh, I'm high on Penn State. I, I think if they get tripped up this season, I don't think it's going to happen uh, in Iowa City. Well, you're talking about an Iowa offense that averaged, Rich, 153 passing yards per game last year in 2016. So, again, they're going to need a better effort to take the pressure off the offensive line and, more importantly, take the pressure uh, from them uh, opposing defenses stacking the box against Wadley and James Butler. So we'll see how that game plays out in week number three. Uh, I think when you look at it overall, I mean, I think Penn State head and shoulders is the best team. And I think when you look at that matchup, yeah, it is in, uh, in Iowa City. It's a tough place to play. But I still give James Franklin and the crew the edge in that matchup. Rich, when you look at this Arkansas-Texas A&M team, again, I'm high on Arkansas this year because of their quarterback, Austin Allen. I'm not high on Kevin Sumlin. Even though they dominated this matchup in the second half last year, I give the edge to the Razorbacks in this ballgame in Arlington. Yeah, I mean, it should be an interesting game. The one player that I want to watch, uh, not just in this game, but really in the opener in Westwood against UCLA, is uh, I, I think Nick Starkle, the young quarterback for Texas A&M, is going to surprise a lot of people. I, I know conventional wisdom says Jake Hubenak, he's the veteran, maybe Kevin Sumlin in an important season, another important season for him is going to go with the veteran. I don't think that's the case. I, I think Nick Starkle is going to get the ball for the Aggies. He's got Travion Williams behind him. He's got Christian Kirk at wide receiver, but both of these teams uh, have some question marks on defense. I think Texas A&M has the better defenders, Joe. When I look at the two defenses, offenses are fairly similar talent-wise, but when I look at the defenses, I look at an Armani Watts, I look at the interior lineman of Kingsley Kike uh, and Zaykoven Henderson, and I think Texas A&M just a notch better defensively, so I'll go with the Aggies here. Is this a toss-up game in terms of Vegas? No, A&M is a six-point favorite in this matchup. They dominated this game in the second half last year. It was 17 apiece heading into the third quarter before Trevor Knight and Travion Williams took over to dominate that matchup by double digits. When we come back, we'll be talking September 23rd, college football games of the year. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Finishing up the conversation about the 2017 college football games of the year. We're on September 23rd. We talked a little Arkansas, Texas A&M. We talked a little Penn State, Iowa. Oklahoma and Baylor, very intriguing battle. I like Baylor here in this matchup, Rich. I think Matt Rule, the crew, can run on that front seven of Oklahoma. I look for Zach Smith to be in this ballgame. And just from a physicality perspective, with Lincoln Riley at the helm, I would take the eight points with the Baylor Bears in Waco. The issue that I have with Baylor this year, Joe, is is in the trenches. Uh, I, I, I think Matt inherited a team 
with marginal talent at the line of scrimmage, both offensive line and defensive line. I like K.J. Smith uh, defensively, the defensive end. But beyond him, this is this is an average team along the defensive line. And that's going to be a problem for any opponent that faces the offensive line of Oklahoma. We'll talk a lot about Baker Mayfield. We'll talk a lot about the skill position and the, the replacements that they need to step up. But we don't talk enough about that offensive line. Orlando Brown, Ben Powers, Eric Wren, Drew Samia, and Bobby Evans, all starters from last year, all physical. And I think they'll be able to blow Baylor off the line of scrimmage. It'll be an up-and-down year for Matt Rule. I think he's a good choice for Baylor, albeit an unexpected choice. But this is more of a long-term project than success in 2017. Yeah, I look for Terrence Williams to have a big day, a day in this in this ball game. I really do. I think that's the recipe. I don't think they can get into a shootout with Baker Mayfield in Oklahoma. And you look at Baylor's rushing offense last year, Rich. I disagree. I think their offensive line was very, very strong. They rushed for 241 yards on the ground, and they played pretty well against some of the top teams that they faced in terms of running the football. So I mean, they were able to rush for 140. 140- 40 yards in that victory over Boise State. They ran the football against Kansas State as well. Another solid team in run support. So we'll see how that game plays out in week number four. Here's an intriguing game to end the month of September. It comes on a Friday night. Could be the Heisman moment for Luke Falk and the Washington State Cougars. Here comes Sam Darnold and the crew. Ten-point favorites over Mm. Wazoo on a Friday night in Pullman. I'm all over Mike Leach in this matchup. Yeah. Yeah, so am I. I, I hopefully, it's enough to move the line. Uh, but I, I, I would I, I would get those 10 points right now if you could because this was one of my off-season upset specials. We talked about it during our Pac-12 uh, football preview a couple of weeks ago. I think this is a perfect spot for Washington State to shock the world. I'm not sold at U- on USC at large as a whole. Friday night, you know, on the Palouse, they'll be going wild. I think this is a game Washington State could win outright, so it's a good opportunity to grab those 10 points. And Washington State, if they start over Montana State very fast now, there's no guarantee because they did lose to Portland State and Eastern Washington yeah. over the last couple of years. I'm going slowly with that. If they're able to get through Montana State, they could possibly be undefeated heading into this matchup, and now you raise the stakes for possibly a Pac-12 title over the Huskies when you look at it if they could get the victory over Sam Darnold in this matchup I mean they could roll straight to the uh, Apple Cup yep yeah no I, I I totally agree it's an interesting team to watch hey, listen we talked a lot of Heisman Trophy today give me your prediction before we go off the air I, my prediction for the Heisman Trophy is Mason Rudolph. I, I'm very high on Oklahoma State. I, I think they're uh, one of my playoff teams. Them, Clemson, Penn State is in there as well, along with Georgia, w- with or without the play of Jacob Eason. So we'll see how it plays out. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. We'll be back for real <laughs> next week. Stay with us. Have a great weekend, everyone.